And this is actually my favorite part. <laughs> wow, I love it, you know. Like, you know when you have uh, harder things to do, then suddenly preparing a sermon is like, not so hard. <laughs> okay. Okay, Tower of Babel. We are, uh, it's the last sermon of the series, okay? Last uh, session of the series. And I, I hope you've been learning stuff, okay, from the past five weeks. And I've actually really enjoyed um, preparing for this series. But I'm, a big, I'm a bit of a, like, uh, I, I, I'm a bit of a nerd. La. I, I, like, I actually like, you know, I like reading stories. And I'm a like, literature person. And, you know, the more I study the Bible and, and, and this few weeks, like Genesis, right, the more I'm amazed at how everything fits and in everything links, and like, I, I love it, like, it gets me really excited, because like, like, you know, it, it, it um, what do you call that, and it stimulates all my geeky tendencies, and then I get, wow, I get very excited, clearly no one feels the same way, okay, I, I, get, I get really excited, because like, I'm a literature person, right, and I think like, this is a literary masterpiece, one day, you will share my excitement, <laughs> okay, so, today we're going to talk about, um, the Tower of Babel. Okay, before that, let's, uh, let's, let's pray. Let's pray and commit time to God. And Yeah, you know, today, I, I hope that you won't just be like hearing from me, but really you'll be hearing from the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, let's pray. Father, we, as we look at your word again today, God, I pray that your spirit will just like synthesize in our minds, you know, all that we've been looking at the past five weeks and and God, show us what you want to say to us, God. Um, and, and Father, we, we sang during worship about how like, you're a great creator, God, and, and the mountains and the oceans you know, shout your name and, and all that. And yet, God, you, you, you know us. You know every detail of our lives. And God, we are just so thankful that we worship such a great God. And, and we really want to say, wow, God, you're, you're great. Um, would you speak to us today? Would you reveal more and more of yourself today? Give us eyes to see more of who you are. Open our hearts and our ears to really hear from you today. So, Father, we invite you to be at the center right now of all we do. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak into each of our lives individually that truly we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we look at your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we've been talking about um, this for the last few weeks. Right, that, that really the Bible is one integrated message, right? And, and I think it's really amazing because over 66 books, right? Let's throw away the rest. Throughout Genesis 1 to 11, you know, um, this, this section that we've been looking at, but also throughout Genesis and, and throughout the Old Testament, throughout the entire Bible, there is one integrated message that says, you know, it all fits together, it all links, okay? So we've said this, right? Genesis is the book of beginnings, okay? So today's story is um, the story of Babel, right? 
What, what is it about? Do you, what, what do you think it is? Beginning of what? Languages, right? Okay, so like, like Bernice was talking about the Chinese just now, right? Like, who here struggles with Chinese or used to struggle with Chinese in school? This is where it all started, man. The Tower of Babel, okay? This is the reason we got to do like what Sao Ji and Ting Xie and all that, okay? It's because of man's sin. Okay, I'm just kidding. Actually, yeah, I'm only half kidding. Okay, you know, like seriously, right? Why, why did God have to introduce confusion and different languages, right? I mean, isn't a lack of communication bad? Like, I mean, sometimes even with one language, there is, there is miscommunication, there's misunderstandings, right? Like, what more with, with, with all these languages, right? So, so let's, let's look at our text today, okay? Please take out your, your Bibles. I hope by now we all have the habit of bringing physical Bibles with pages. If you didn't, we won't judge you. We will just give you a... No. <laughs> okay, let's, uh, let, let's, look at, um, let's look at our Bibles, Genesis 11. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I, f- I find this quite a strange story. Um, you know, they're, they're just nine verses, but... Uh, but what do they mean? Like, like what's, what's the significance of this account, right? So let's, let's read it. Um, let's read it and see, okay? Okay, Genesis chapter 11. It's just nine verses. Let me read it. Verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shina and settled there. They said to each other, Come! Let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. I lost the the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And so the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. Because there, the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So, strange little story. Here is, oh, here it is. <laughs> okay, this is what I'm going to talk about in, 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 in the sermon today. Okay, firstly, what was the sin? Like, like what's wrong with building this, this tower, right? Like, why, why does God have to come and destroy it? And, and then what does this tell us about God? Okay, and, and as we go through the message, um, I really want us to ask, you know, what, what does this mean for us today, right? Like, what does this mean for me? And I want to encourage you every time you read the Bible or you hear a sermon, you know, as we look at the, the sin of these people, you know, and we, we, we should say, Lord, is this me? Right? You know, the, the James says that the word is a mirror, right? We should look at it and say, is, is this me? And as we study, you know, what, what all these shows about God, you know, is this a truth, God, that I need to believe about you, that I need to believe in, that I need to cling to, that I need to apply in my life? Okay, so this is a short passage um, we can break it down into two parts. Basically, the first part, okay, verses 1 to 4, is human action, right? What man tried to do, okay, what, what man did. 
And then the next part, verses 5 to 9, is God's response. Okay, so two parts, simple, right? Okay, so what was the sin? What's so bad about building this tower, okay? Let's break it down into three parts, okay? I, I think the key is in verse 4, and there are three parts, okay? It says, um, the first part, come let us build, build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to heaven so that we may make a name for ourselves. And finally, uh, and, and, and this is in the, the newer NIV version. Okay, so NIV 84 just says, uh, and not be scattered. But um, the, the new NIV says, otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the earth. I think that, that kind of conveys it a bit clearly. Okay, otherwise, we will be scattered. Okay, so the first, first reason, okay, why, why is this a sin? Okay, they wanted to build themselves a city and a tower that reaches to heaven, right? And, and this is as if the men were saying, you know what, we can build high enough to reach God. We can reach Him and we can get to heaven on our own, right? And that, that was the act of defiance and of independence from God. You know, we, we don't need God, we can reach heaven on our own, right? We're independent, we can do it on our own, and, and there was just all this human pride. Now, does this sound familiar? This is very similar to the original sin in the Garden of Eden, when Eve was tempted by the serpent saying, if you eat the fruit, you will be like God. And Eve was like, okay, yeah, right? You will be like God. So this is man trying to exalt himself to the place of God, right? Thinking we can, we can be like God. Hey, we can be our own God. We can reach heaven on our own. We can be like God. And so let us ask, Lord, is this me? Right? Do, we, do we call him Lord, Lord, but we live our lives as if we are our own gods? We can get to heaven on our own. You know, we, we don't need to listen to him because we have our own wisdom. Right? God, I'll just take your word into consideration, but I make my own decision. Right? And, and very often we think we have our own strength. You know, we can make our own decisions. We are the masters of our own destinies. And, and we can reach heaven. We can reach success. We can reach fulfillment and, and happiness and security. On our own. So the sin, if you can see it, it was human pride, right? It was human pride seeking independence from God. We can reach heaven, okay? Now, the second part, the next part of verse 4 actually explicitly tells us their motivation for, for building the power, okay? Uh, building the tower. They said they want to build this tower so that we may make a name for ourselves, right? Verse 4, they say, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches heaven, so that we may make a name for ourselves, okay? So it was a desire to glorify self, make me great, right? It was a lust for fame and greatness. Same thing, it's pride, okay? Now, think about this, Gabe. Why do people build towers? Huh? Yeah, you want to be the tallest in the It looks, it, it's impressive, right? You know when you travel to a different city, uh, you know, the different cities, right? One of the attractions is very commonly like the tallest point of that city, right? And then you go up there and then, you know, you can, you can see the whole city, like, you know, you go up the Empire State Building or, I don't know, Taipei 101 or something, right? And then you can see the whole city, right? Do you know what's the tallest tower in the world? Wow, very good, Corinne. Burj Khalifa in Dubai, built by Wiz Khalifa. No, okay, not. It's 830 meters tall 
and it's 163 floors. I mean, look at it. It's like a strange beast, right? It's, it's been the tallest structure tower in the world since 2008. For 10 years, it's been the uh, tallest. I mean, look at that. It's, just, it's really quite impressive, right? Um, at one point, the tallest tower was the Petronas Twin Towers in KL. Maybe some of you have been there. It, uh, is, it's 88 floors. So it's actually the, the Wiz Khalifa building is like double size, right? Um, Singapore, our highest building, do you know what it is? No, it's not HDB. It's Tanjong Paga Center. <laughs> it's 64 floors. Like suddenly it sounds quite short, uh, like compared to, to the, the, the rest, right? Uh, you know, already, okay, like, like, you know, I've, I've been to some really tall buildings. Anyway, you know, when you take the lift up, your ears pop and, you know, can you imagine going up like 160th floor? I mean, that's, that's mad. Actually, I have a bit of height phobia. You know, when I go up very high and like, if I put my hand out, like, I have this phobia that my watch will just drop. Like, even thinking about it now, my hands are a bit sweaty. <laughs> so I, I can't, I can't um, imagine going up like 163 floors, right? So yeah, all, all these tall towers... Um, in the world, okay? Um, actually, just FYI, the Tower of Babel would have looked a bit like this, okay, a bit more like this. Uh, this is the ancient style. It's called a ziggurat, okay? So, but was similar, right? From ancient times to today, man still tries to do it, right? We try to build taller and taller towers. Why do we try to, why, why do we build these towers? It's very simple. It, it's basically to show off, Right? It's basically so you can say, my city has the tallest tower in the world. Or my city has the, the second tallest, right? It's to show, hey, mine's bigger or mine's taller, right? It's to show like, look what we can do. It's the same. We want to make a name for ourselves, right? It's, it's a very human thing to, to lust after fame and greatness. And it becomes a sin when we focus on glorifying ourselves instead of God. Right? Like, look at me, look at me, look at what I can do. When the purpose of our lives as Christians is to point people to Jesus. Right? And so in seeking to make a name for yourself lies really that desire for independence. Same thing, right? Desire for independence, human pride. And you know, there's this idea of like making a name for yourself. You know, a name is usually given, given by a person with authority. Right? A person above you. Like, for example, who gave you your name? God, wow, very good, okay. I mean, I mean well, through, through your parents, right? Okay, so, so usually your, your parents gave you your name uh, because they, they are the ones who have authority over you, right? And even in this, in, these, uh, uh, 11, in this earlier chapters of Genesis, we see God names the elements, right? He says day, night, sky, land, you know, that kind of thing, right? Adam names the animals, right? Adam names his wife Eve, right? And in the genealogy, you will see they, they name their children, right? So the person in authority, the person, you know, who's above, gives the name. And so when we say we want to make a name for ourselves, we want to make our own name, we want to build our own reputation, right? It's, it's, it's a pride thing, right? It's a desire for, for independence. I am not interested in your name, God. I want to make my own name, right? And so here the people were saying, we want to make our own name, we want to build our own reputation, you know, we take pleasure in being praised, not in praising God, right? So again, 
sin was human pride seeking independence from God. Okay? Okay, the third part. The third part says, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the earth. So we have to build this tower, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the earth. Now, what is wrong with this? What is wrong with this? Okay? Remember, God said to Noah, sorry, Adam first, and then later Noah, okay? He said this, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. Fill the earth and subdue it. Okay? Be fruitful. He keeps repeating it, right? He tells Adam and then he tells Noah. tells Noah again, right? In some other translations of the Bible, it will say, Spread out over all the earth. Live all over the earth. Populate the earth. But these people were doing the exact opposite. They weren't filling the earth. They were gathering and they were settling. Right? Verse says they found a plain in Shina and they settled there. They stayed there. Right? So they didn't obey God's command to spread out all over the, the earth. Right? So they went against his original plan. So God commanded and they refused. And, and actually, that is sin in a nutshell. Right? That's what we all do. God commands, we refuse. Fill the earth. No, we're going to stay here and settle. Forgive. Love your neighbor. No, I hate him. Right? You, you shall have no other gods before me. No, I want to watch YouTube. You know, that kind of thing. Right? God commands, we refuse. That is sin in a nutshell. Now, why do you think they, they gathered instead of spreading out? Why do you think they gathered instead of spreading out? No, I think, I think they were trying to establish some kind of security and protection for themselves, like, like build their own city, you know. Verse 4 says, Come, let us build ourselves a city. Now, does this make you think of anything? You know, I'm, I'm a lit person, okay? Like, I love these repetitions, okay? Does it remind you of anything? I'm like so excited. None of you are just like, what? Tell me the answer. Let us build ourselves a city. <laughs> okay, like, just tell me, Joanne. <laughs> okay, think back previous chapters, okay? Who else built a city? When is the first time city is mentioned? Cain, yes! <laughs> Cain, that, that's the that's first time city is mentioned, second time it's here, okay? If you look back, uh, uh, chapter, chapter 4, right? After, after he killed Abel and then God scored him and all that, right? Verse 17, Cain was then building a city, okay? So city, Cain built a city, then now people building a city, and I think Cain and these people, they built the city for the same reason. Okay, they were trying to set up some kind of defense and protection for themselves. Okay, instead of trusting God and just obeying and doing what He said, spread out, they were like, no, 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 no. Just gather, consolidate, take care of ourselves first, you know. Set up, set up some kind of base and, 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 and walls and protection. You see, for Cain, remember, remember God already put a mark, like, like right, a mark on him to protect him, right? Because he said, oh, God, you know, you're sending me out from here, blah, blah, blah. And God said, no, okay, I will put a mark on you to protect you. But then I think Cain was like, 
this mark is not enough, man. I better build a city to protect myself, right? Build a city because he didn't have faith in God, unlike Abel, as, as we read, right? So he set up walls. He set up like defenses, like a system, you know, he's trying to be self-sufficient. The attitude was, I better protect myself. I can rely on no one but myself. And some of us do this too, right? In a metaphorical sense, right? We seek security in our own efforts, right? We build our own towers instead of finding security in God. You know, we depend on ourselves instead of God. You know, we, we set up things so that just in case God fails me, it's okay, I've got things covered. Just in case anybody else feel, fails me, I've got things covered. And it actually all stems from human pride, right? I can, I can take care of everything. I don't need God because He may not give me what I want, so it's okay, I'm in control. I rely on myself. And so we ask, Lord, is this me? Because we're meant to find security in God and not in cities or, or towers, which maybe today is like our own efforts, you know, our own building, building our own stuff. So, can you see what, what, what was the sin at the Tower of Babel? It was really a problem of self. Self versus God, right? Self. On my own, I can reach heaven. I can be like God, right? I want self-praise. I want to make a name for myself. And I'm just like, you know, I'm going to be self-reliant. I have self-security, self-protection. And that's why they didn't want to spread out as God commanded. They wanted to settle. And so you see, the, the sin at this tower was that it was an assertion of independence from God. And in Genesis 3 and 4, we see it at an individual level, right? Adam, Eve, Cain, assertion of independence. And here, it's a whole people behaving like that. And this is disobedience. Disobedience is man building his own kingdom, his own city, his own tower. Man living his own life as if there's no God, independence from God, human pride, right? So, I hope, I hope we see the problem, okay, the, the, the sin of Babel. But still, I've always felt that verse 6 was a little bit strange, okay? Look at verse 6. I mean, wouldn't you think that verse 6 sounds positive? Okay, it says, If as one people, speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. I mean, it sounds like a good thing, right? Verse 6 sounds like a statement of, you know, human progress and, and human potential. It's the kind of thing you hear on a slogan or a campaign, right? When we come together, nothing is impossible. Impossible is nothing. Adidas, right? Yeah, these are the kind of messages we always hear, right? We, we always hear this kind of, you know, you can do anything that you set your mind to, right? Cartoon Channel, dream big, princess. Clearly, I'm the only one who watches it, okay? You know, you can do it. Believe in yourself. This always, we always hear these messages, right? Right, yes? Am I the only one? <laughs> right? And we like to think of the ascent of men. You always see this cartoon, right? And they, and they do funny things like at the end, right? Right, we always see the, the, you know, we are progressing and progressing, getting better and better, right? We always think as a human race, we, we are getting better. We have new technologies every day, new discoveries. We have advancements in every field. You know, we, we've sent people to the moon. You know, just this week, um, my husband was telling me about this. This guy called Elon Musk. Do you know Elon Musk? 
right? No? So, so he, this, this guy, this billionaire, technopreneur guy, okay, he sent a rocket into space, and in the rocket, he put his car, which is like some cool roadster, Telstra roadster, and, and, and then he what? And yeah, he played David Bowie, Spaceman, or you know one of those songs, right? And, uh, and his roadster is currently on the way to orbit around Mars. So these are the photos. I mean, I don't understand the whole situation, but these are pretty cool photos, right? Like, totally would do this for the gram, you know? <laughs> right? And, and, then, and then on his Instagram, he was like, um, this is why he printed on the circuit board of his car, made on Earth by humans. Like, just in case aliens find it, you know? Then they'll be like, oh, humans, wow. <laughs> right? And, and, and according to my husband, who's, I don't understand all this, okay? But according to my husband, who is like some aeronautical geek, geeks marry geeks, right? This, the big thing, the big thing in this whole situation is actually that the rocket has come back, like, so they send a rocket out, and the rocket has come back and landed safely, which means that actually space travel might perhaps soon be accessible and, and possible and affordable for you and me. Like, we could go to space as if we were taking a plane to Australia, right? So that, apparently, that's the big thing. Like, I don't, he showed me this video, and he was just like, look at this, look at this. And I watched the whole video, I was like, uh-huh. He was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but, but, but these are the kind of things, right? It's like, whoa, mankind is great. We are advancing. Impossible is nothing, right? And, and this is the kind of message we hear all the time, Right? Man is great. We have like so much potential, right? Well, what about things like this? What is this? You know what is this? I mean, sure, I'm sure you've heard it, right? I'm mean, sure you've learned it in history, right? This is Hiroshima, right? Atomic bomb, right? Okay, okay. If you if you don't know, this is during World War II. They, you know. <laughs> Through an atomic bomb in Japan. So look at this. Great advanced technology made by humans. Right? Great, great advanced technology. Yay. What about this? This is a picture from the Holocaust. If you also don't know it, please, please read your history textbooks. Right? The Holocaust, right? During World War II, there was unimaginable atrocities done to people. Millions of people killed in the most inhumane ways. You know, just, just go Google, right? You'll see like photos of, of, of tons of people, kids, you know, babies, and they're just waiting there to go into the gas chamber. Mass raping. All this done by humans. Right? By humans. More recently, I'm sure you would have, would have seen things like this. ISIS, right? Mass killings by humans. They film it, they, they broadcast it, they glory in it. And suddenly, nothing is impossible for humans. Actually, it can be quite a terrifying thought. Yeah, we have great potential. And so, verse 6 sounds positive. But I think God knows us better. And he's like, think of all the evil they could do if there were no limits. 
right? So far, with Cain, with Lamech, people during Noah's time, it's not looking good. Is it the ascent of men or the descent of men? And if at this point they're like, yeah, we all work together, you know, and build this great tower, if they succeed in defying God now, what will they go on to do next? And it's just like in Genesis 3, right? After the fall, God says this. The Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. I think God in his wisdom knew that humans are far too evil to be allowed to unite uniformly with one language and live forever. You see, God knew that man left on his own would stop at nothing. Yeah, we have immense potential as human beings for evil. As you just look at history. And so that is why God put limits on man's behavior. So that it wouldn't descend into a world of violence and chaos and mutual destruction. Or at least there would be some limits to all this. Because left to our own devices, there is actually no hope for humanity. You know, we're actually all like little kids, you know. Imagine if I let my kids do whatever they want. Like, no limits. Impossible is nothing. You can watch TV 24 hours a day. Yes, you can. That, that's not true love. That's not true love, right? It's actually an act of grace that I make them go to bed at 9 o'clock every night. I try, love. You know, and, and it's an act of grace that I restrict the junk food that they eat, that I restrict the shows that they watch. Do you, do you understand what I mean? And that's the same thing from God's perspective. And so we see in Genesis 11 that even after the flood, right, which is like a great reset, right, even after the flood, men are no better. Humans are still the same. They think they don't need God, they disregard God, they disobey God, and therefore God has to step in and intervene and help us. By the way, did you notice that after the flood, right? After the flood, God made the covenant with Noah, right? The rainbow and all that. And he said, Genesis 8, 21, never again will I curse the ground because of men, right? That's the covenant. But it says, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. So actually the reason he sent the flood and the reason he stopped the flood is the same. Every inclination of man's heart is evil, but he says, even though, never again will I curse the ground because of men. Pure grace. Pure grace. Not because like, oh, you know, you guys got better. You know, you, you became more righteous. You learned your lesson. And God's like, okay, I forgive you. Here's a rainbow. No, exactly the same. The flood did not fix man's sinful nature. It was just a reset. Just a reset. Post-flood, men began to sin again. Because they are sinful, we are sinful in nature. I mean, look at Noah after the flood. What an anticlimax. Have you read it? Uh, uh, chapter, chapter 9, right? What an anticlimax. 
to this, you know, great flat story where Noah is the one blameless and, and, and righteous man. And then after the flood, we read of him basically getting so drunk that he lay there naked. He passed out and lay there naked. I mean, that's not a picture of a righteous and blameless man, right? See, Noah has the sinful nature as well. All, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we desperately need someone to intervene. We desperately need a saviour. So, so that's it, right? We've talked a lot about the, the sin of man, right? Verse 1 to 4, the sin of man. Now, before we move on to God's response, I, I want to talk a bit about some links between the Tower of Babel story to the rest of Genesis and the rest of the Bible, okay? So, let's start looking at, uh, we've got to look at Genesis chapter 10, okay? Now, you know, the Bible is, is not always written in chronological order, okay? If we understand that, it will solve some, some confusion, right? It's not always chronological, okay? And Genesis, the Tower of Babel story, actually happens kind of before Genesis 10 or somewhere in the middle of Genesis 10, okay? So, try to follow, okay? Genesis 11.1 1 says, the whole world had one language and a common speech, right? Everybody spoke the same language. Now, this is natural after the flood, and it should be the case because it's just Noah and his family. Pretty strange if they're talking to each other in different languages, right? So, one language. Genesis chapter 10 describes the spread of people, right? If you read the NIV, it's titled The Table of Nations, okay? It describes the spread of people into different territories and nations, each with its own language, okay? So, that means in Genesis 10, they spread already, Right? But Genesis 11 ends with them. After this, then they start to spread. So you will see that Genesis 11 is somewhere in the middle. Do you, are you following? Okay? So if you look at Genesis 10, you will see um, uh, these are, these are people, the, the people spreading into nations with different languages from Noah's three sons. Okay? So um, Japheth, right? The maritime people, they spread out um, each, with their, each with its own language. Okay? Verse 5. Languages specifically mentioned, right? Verse 20. The sons of Ham. Okay, we, by their clans and languages, they spread out in different territories, nations. Verse 31, this is, this is Shem. Okay, again, by their clans and languages. Okay, so this is how they spread out, right? Through uh, the, the three sons. So the Tower of Babel would have taken place before the spreading, right? So Genesis, 11, so Genesis 10 tells you how they spread. And Genesis 11 explains the origin of this spreading and this scattering and these different languages. Okay? So... Genesis 11.1 1 says, they settled in Shina. Can you find Shina in Genesis chapter 10? Find it. Sorry, I don't have sweets today, but I will, I will give you a clap. Okay, where, where is Shina? Wow, this Corinne is on a roll today. Verse 10, okay, very good. Genesis 10.10, 10, that's where Shina is mentioned, okay? You start reading from verse 8. Okay, let's start reading from verse 8. It says, Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and Kaune in Shina. Okay? So, whose line is this? Which son? Which son of Noah? Ham, okay? Ham is which one? He's the naughty one. Okay? He's the one that he saw his father's nakedness, and then he gossiped to his brother about it. Hey, oh my goodness, see papa, right? 
He dishonoured he dishonored his father. He's the naughty one, okay? Ham is the father of Canaan. Okay? If you read Exodus, yeah, uh, yeah, Canaan is the promised land, but they had to conquer Canaan first. Okay, so Canaan is actually the enemy of Israel, right? And then you see like Noah cursed him, like, cursed be Canaan, okay? Now, from this line of Ham, naughty one, Canaan, enemy of, of Israel, comes this guy called Nimrod. Have you heard his name, Nimrod? Nimrod is a, is a mighty hunter, but actually the name Nimrod means rebel. Okay? Nimrod means rebel. And verse 10, Nimrod set up his kingdom in Shina, and one of the centers was Babylon. Okay? Genesis 11, right? People settled in Shina and built the tower of Babel. Okay? See, the Hebrew word Babel, Actually, it occurs like 200 over times in an Old Testament and it's always usually translated as Babylon, the city Babylon, okay? So anyway, I went through all that just to tell you that Babel is Babylon, okay? (laughs) Babel is Babylon. And so perhaps, perhaps, some people say that um, the story of the Tower of Babel took place at this time, Nimrod, okay? Nimrod the rebel who was building his kingdom, so Genesis 10 said, Right? So perhaps it was Nimrod the rebel who was building this tower of Babel. This Babel is Babylon. Okay? Now, why did I spend so long to tell you that? Huh? <laughs> because Babylon is significant in the Bible. Okay? Remember, 200 over times in the Old Testament, Babel, Babylon is mentioned. Okay? Now, throughout Scripture, Babylon represents, okay, Babylon is a symbol of man's capital. Man's city, right? Or even Satan's capital. Okay? So let's talk a bit about Babylon. Now, when you think of Babylon in the Bible, what do you think of? You guys need to read your Bible more. What, what, what do you think of? Babylon. Like, what, what was the first thing that comes to mind? Exile. Very good. Well, that's quite advanced. Okay. What else? What, 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 what do we read about, about Babylon? What? Daniel. Yeah, very good. Anything else? Yes, Jebby? <laughs> huh? Ne- ne- what? what? <laughs> okay, Babylon. Okay, Babylon rose to become a major empire, okay? The Babylonians, right? And, and somebody said, who's it, Daniel, right? In the days of Daniel, okay? Who's the king of Babylon? Yes, Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar is the guy who threw... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery uh, furnace because they didn't want to bow down to the statue, remember? It's all coming back, it's all coming back to me. No, the song's too old. Okay, in, in, in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, this Nebuchadnezzar, he's like, he's walking on the roof of his palace, okay, palace of Babylon, and he says, Is not this the great Babylon? I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Sounds like a cool guy. Sounds like, no. <laughs> this, is, this is a pride, pride of man, right? It's a pride of man. You know, he's, he's made a name for himself. Right? This is what Babylon uh, represents. By the way, after this, he became like a wild animal, ate grass like a cow, you know? Yeah, go read, go read Daniel, okay? Because he refused to acknowledge God as God. Okay, so, so Babylon, um, yes, it's the place of exile, right? Remember Daniel and his friends were were taken into captivity and they say, oh, I just want to eat vegetables and water, you know, right? And, and, and the whole, actually the whole nation of Judah was taken into captivity, into exile for 70 years. So Babylon was judgment on the people of God for their sin. 
Okay, so all through the my summary, okay, summary, all through the Bible, Babylon is very clearly the enemy, the bad guys. Okay, they, they represent bad, okay? And, and then in the book of Revelation, okay, in John's vision, Revelation 17, Babylon is a woman and she's called the mother of prostitutes and of abominations of the earth. Okay? Some translations say the mother of every immoral and filthy thing on earth. Okay? Every detestable, obscene, perverted thing, the mother of idol worship. Like, hmm, is this positive or negative? Yeah, yes, yes, negative. Okay. And, and then we, we read that this woman, Babylon, is drunk with the blood of saints. Okay, people killed for their faith. So Babylon is the enemy of God's people. Okay, very clearly. And then in the last verse of Revelation 17, it explains it clearly. Okay, the woman you saw, the mother of prostitutes, right? Is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. The city. Okay, the city Babylon. So Babylon is a great and powerful city. Okay, but it's also the mother of idol worship. And prostitution, right? And, and I think prostitution, it's, it's not just like, you know, like literal prostitution, but you know, God often likens Israel's rebellion and, and idol worship as prostitution, right? You betray the covenant. And then if you look at Revelation 18, the entire chapter is about the fall of Babylon, okay? It's like an epic destruction of the city. In the days of Noah, right? God said he won't send a flood to destroy the earth anymore, Right? Well, here, he doesn't send a flood. He sends fire. Okay, he sends fire and Babylon is completely burned up. It says like even the ships from far away can see the smoke of her burning. Okay, Revelation 18. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Look at verse 5. For her sins are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. It's not their tower that reaches to heaven. It's her sin. The sin of Babylon that reaches to heaven. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. Babel, Babylon, they, were, right? they thought they could make a name for themselves, right? Gain glory for themselves. And it says, you know, her plagues will overtake her. She consumed by fire. Mighty is the Lord God who judges her. And then, just like in the Tower of Babel story, you know, in the Tower of Babel story, God comes down, right? This time, God also comes down. But it's not just to see the city and the tower that man built. It's to completely destroy it. So this is Babylon in Revelation. Anyone knows where Babylon is today? What? Middle East, yeah? Specific country? Yeah, Iraq. Okay, Babylon is modern-day Iraq. I asked Leah, but she didn't know. Anybody knows who is Saddam Hussein? I'm not sure why you're getting so excited about him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Saddam Hussein, this guy, okay, he's the pre- he was the president of Iraq, okay, and he's like, he was like this big real-life villain. He's like the villain of the 80s and 90s. Okay, he's this, he's this brutal dictator like, like Hitler, and he caused like hundreds of thousands of deaths. Okay, this horrible like dictator, okay, villain. And interestingly, this guy, okay, so he's president of Iraq, right? He wanted to 
restore the city of Babylon. He wanted to build his palace there in the style of a ziggurat. You know, he even put up a portrait of himself and Nebuchadnezzar on many of the bricks. And then he inscribed this, this was built by Saddam Hussein, son of Nebuchadnezzar, to glorify Iraq. Like, check out the coin. See, there's, there's Saddam and there's Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> like the son of, right? It's, it's real. I'm not, I'm not making this up, right? Just Google it, okay? Okay, so what's the point of all this? What's the point of all this Babylon stuff? Does it mean that Iraq will be burnt and destroyed in the end times? Okay, I don't know because I don't know if the Babylon in Revelation refers to like that physical plot of land. We don't know, okay? Maybe, maybe not. I, I think what is clear is that the Babylon mentioned in Revelation is basically a great city that rules over all the kings of the earth. That's what, that's what the Bible says. And so ultimately, what Babylon rep- represents is secular human kingdom. Human, you know, man-made human kingdom, which Jesus will judge and overthrow when he establishes his perfect kingdom at the end when he comes again, as we see in Revelation 18. And the main point, this is the main point, that, that I want to share with you is this. Right from the beginning, right? Genesis 1 to 11, we call it prehistory. Right from the beginning, beginning with the Tower of Babel and all the way through up to Revelation, Babylon has been an example of man's pride against God, of human rebellion against God's designs, seeking independence from God because we think we're so great, human pride. And and we, we have to pay attention because just as during the Tower of Babel, man's pride got the better of him, today, we as individuals and as a human race, we also often let our pride get the better of us, right? As, as a human race, you know, we think, oh, we're so great, we're doing all these great things. And even as individuals, we let our pride very often get the better of us. You know, oh, I know better. Did God really say that? I know better. I decide for myself. I can do better. I can take care of myself. I can accomplish great things on my own. Like, look how great I am. And that's, the, that's the sin that we often fall into. And, you know, Babylon is, is also always called the source of all idol worship, idolatry, right? And so, what is idolatry for us today? I mean, we don't worship like a wooden statue, right? Or a bronze figure or whatever, I, I hope, right? But an idol is anything that you are more devoted to than God. It can be, you know, our studies. It can be our, our, our interests, you know, our pleasure. It can be our work, And so in summary, I think today, very often what we worship, it's not like, you know, wooden figures and all that. We worship the self. How I feel, what I want, what I think is more important than what God wants, what God feels, what God God thinks. And we find our satisfaction and fulfillment and security in ourselves, right? In our accomplishments, our, our results, our popularity and all that. Just like the people tried to find their success and security in building their own great city and great tower. And so we have to ask, Lord, is this me? So what do we do since we are, you know, we're such a sinful human race, prideful, self-obsessed, self-seeking? We look to God. Right? Let's think about this. What does this story tell us 
about God. I think the first thing very clearly is that God is a great God. You see, you know, do you know the song, My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Impossible is nothing is God's tagline. It's not our tagline. The verse, so look at verse 1 to 4, right? Verse 1 to 4 is man's actions, okay? What they tried to do, right? And then in verse 5, we see, we see God's response. What does it say? It says, the Lord came down. It's kind of like if you imagine, right? Like I'm standing here and there's these little ants on the floor and they're like building that little ant tower and they're like, woohoo, we're building this, this great tower, right? And then, and then I, I'm like, oh, what? A, oh, what? I, you know, like I come down and oh, what you doing over there, right? And so man thinks like his tower is so big and great, but to God, it's like, what, what, oh, oh, this, this cute little thing here. <laughs> it's like the view you get from the aeroplane, right? When, you know, when the whole city looks like, like little Lego. And man thought that his tower would reach to heaven, but actually God in heaven, he can't see it. He's like, well, okay, I mean, God can see everything, but you know, you know what I mean, right? And it's almost like the writer, which is probably Moses, is, is like making fun of the people. You know, he's showing that he's showing how ludicrous and ridiculous man's pride is in his little achievements. It's like making fun of human pretensions to greatness. Look at Isaiah 40, right? And we see passages in the Bible like this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it been not told? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. We're grasshoppers, guys. You know, because he's stretching out the heavens like a canopy and, and spreading out the tent and he brings princes and knots and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. This is perspective for you. Right? This is perspective. And, and you know, I, I, I always think that you will not appreciate the grace and mercy and love of God until you have an understanding of just how great and awesome and powerful and mighty He is, like we sang in the song just now, and how small and sinful we are. You know, God is not like this naggy little voice on your shoulder, like, hey, have you done your quiet time? You know, hey, better not cheat on you. You know, or like, you know, He's not, he's not like, like a charm that you put in your pocket. Sometimes you need help, then you take it out, you know, or like a genie, just like, oh, I, I need help, just rub the lamp a bit, you know. God is creator. He's creator of the universe. It's like, we think we're so great, right? We sent a man to the moon. We sent a car to Mars. And God's like, well, here's the sun. Where, where are you going? That's the, that's the scale, right? That's the perspective. And sometimes I, feel, I, I think when we grow up in church, you know, we get used to the idea of God and, and then we just take him for granted. Like we have these cute like Jesus loves me stickers and, and like precious moment Bible where Jesus is like carrying the lamb. And, and, and yes, Jesus loves you and, 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 and all that. But sometimes we can forget just how big and awesome God is. You know, not, not like that everything is awesome. You know, the Lego movie that kind of like awesome, right? But like all awesome, like all inspiring, like terrifyingly great. And our God is greater than any power, any, any king, any empire in the world. You know, Nimrod called this city uh, Babel, right? And, and the word is actually Bab 
El, like El means God, Bab El, right? And Bab El means, actually means gateway to God, right? Like, oh, building the tower to God, right? But, but Babel is also the Hebrew word for confused. So get this, God actually made a pun. He's like, oh, you named this city Bab-El? Okay, I'm going to make you Bab-El in confusion. Lol. Right? That, that's, that's it. I'm, I'm not even kidding. It's, it's, it's a play on the word. And the meaning remains till today. The Hebrew word Babel means confusion. And in English, Babel, it also means confusion, right? If you're babbling, it means you're talking nonsense. I can't understand you. So the gateway of God actually just becomes Confusion City. God renamed it. And you know, you know, one more thing, right? You know, sometimes we, we read the story or we read the Bible and we think, we think like it's like God versus us, you know? Like, oh, these people want to build a tower. Like, God is trying to cramp their style, you know? Why everything else cannot? Like, yeah, it's God always trying to restrain us, you know, limit us, control us. But consider... Consider what this story would have meant to the exiles in Babylon. Like to Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Don't you think this would have encouraged them? That the sovereign Lord is perfectly able to break down the great city of Babylon who are currently their, their, their oppressors. He's done it before. He's sovereign over all nations. Even when it seems like they are a great empire and great city like, like Babel or Babylon. And, and you know, we, we talked about the evil that mankind is, is capable of, of accomplishing, right? If you think about it, it's actually, it's actually a good thing, you know, that, that we, the world, are not just like we're just one language in like one monolithic state, you know? Can you imagine if the whole world was under one ruler or one government? It's actually like recipe for disaster. And I tell you, if that was the case, I'm very sure Christians would be persecuted, right? Because we're like, oh, there's no other God but him, right? And so sometimes we, we should think about it from the other perspective. Like, for example, we think, oh, why is God so harsh with Cain? Right? But how would you feel if you were Abel? Right? Like, God, why, why are you always trying to restrain man? Like, build towers, okay, not. Like, but wouldn't you want him to restrain Babylon if you were one of the exiles? And that is one thing that this story shows us, right? That God is great and completely in control. And if you look at history, throughout history, many men have set out to create empires, to make a name for themselves. You know, Hitler, Saddam, Alexander the Great, etc., all these people. But God can limit what man can do. And verse 8 says, so, God, so the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. So it was back to the original plan. God's will prevails. He's far greater than man's plans, man's efforts, man's sin, Men's mistakes. And so we see here God is great, but we also see that, that God is gracious. You know, this, this prehistory section, right, this Genesis 1 to 11, um, it concludes with this Tower of Babel story, right? And it seems to conclude with an account highlighting man's sin. So, so where is the grace? Now, we talked about this a little bit just now, right? That if man was allowed to unite uniformly and live forever, actually, that's, that's terrible because like a lot more evil could take place. And so this confusing of languages on the surface seems to be a bad thing, but actually, 
It's an act of grace because it helps to restrain sin. You know, different languages was not part of God's original plan, right? They came about because of human sin and then God's intervention because of this sin. So this introduction of different languages is actually both divine judgment and divine mercy. Can you imagine like Chinese? Divine judgment, divine mercy. Sounds about right, right? And, and actually in these last 11 chapters, this is what we've been seeing, right? Man sins and God has to judge because he's a holy and a just God and sin has consequences. But even in his judgment, there's always grace. There's always grace, right? So there's the fall. Adam and Eve disobeyed. God has to judge, right? He has to send them out of Eden. But he makes clothes for them with the skin of animals, right? And he gave them children. He gave them descendants, right? Eve's mother of all living and all that. Cain, he murdered his brother and God has to judge. God has sent him away. But God still protects him. Puts a mark on him, right? And then for Adam and Eve, he gives them another son. Grace. The flood. Mankind is, is horrible, wicked, evil, violent. God has to judge. He sends a flood. But he saves Noah and his family, right? And not because Noah is perfect. He's also sinful, right? But he saves Noah and his family, sets a rainbow in the sky, makes a covenant with mankind. Even in his judgment, God still shows grace. And so, so this, this section on prehistory, it, it ends with a judgment, right? Almost like, like a curse. God confused the language of the whole world. And so, of course, they couldn't finish building this Tower of Babel. But, but I want to show you three examples of how, as the Bible narrative proceeds, God actually reverses this curse. Okay, this redemption plan continues throughout the Bible. And I hope this encourages you to read on, okay? So, 1 to 11 is the section on prehistory, right? Stuff that happened in the world. And then remember I said the Genesis narrative then, after this, zooms in to individual stories, right? So, the rest, um, so, so that's the next section, okay? And then after, after the Tower of Babel story, the rest of Genesis 11 basically traces the genealogy to Abraham. And then he's the first patriarch that we read of in the next section of Genesis. Okay? So, Genesis 11, Tower of Babel, right? Men, they tried to make a name for themselves. Epic failure. Then, Genesis 12, God in his grace makes a covenant with Abraham. And part of the promise is this, I will make your name great. Okay? And, and God actually said the same thing to King David, 2 Samuel, right? I will make your name great. What's the difference? See, when man tries to make his name great, tries to make his own name great, he's doomed for failure. But when God, in his grace makes a man's name great, it lasts, right? The Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, we continue to read, but they are so important, you know, to the biblical narrative. We see them unfold throughout the rest, the entire Bible. God's grace. And then in the New Testament, we see a kind of reversal of this curse of different languages. Guess where? Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, Right? God poured out His Spirit, right? Jesus ascended to heaven. He gave His Holy Spirit. 
poured out His Spirit to reverse the judgment of Babel for His church. Acts chapter 2, 4 says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, which is languages, as the Spirit enabled them. And so at Babel, they suddenly couldn't understand each other. At Pentecost, they suddenly could understand each other. Right? It's a reversal. And after Babel, the nation spread out, right? Over all the earth, right? After Pentecost, we read about how the gospel spread out over all the earth to the nations, right? Because Jesus said, go, make disciples of all nations. And then we see the gospel spread in the book of Acts from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, right? So there's a reversal in Acts chapter 2. And finally, we read of an ultimate reversal in the book of Revelation. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Lamb of God, right? It says that He redeemed people from every tribe and nation and language. And people from every language come together and worship the Lord, the Lamb of God, in one loud voice. The languages come together for the glory of God now. And so the story of the Tower of Babel, right, is actually, it's almost like foreshadowing, right? points towards the time at the end when Jesus comes again and he destroys Babylon, remember, mother of prostitutes, and the pride of man. He destroys the pride of man forever. There is the victory of Christ over all human powers, human kingdoms, and human cities. The, the man-made city, right? Man's city is destroyed. And right at the end of Revelation, there is a new city, it's like Eden 2.0, you know, it's new, it's better, it's, it's improved. Actually, it's perfect. No more upgrades after this. And it's not a city like the one Cain was building. It's not a city like the, the one the people of Babel wanted to build. The new city in Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem, is not man trying to reach heavens. It is a city coming down out of heaven from God. It comes down. You see, man cannot build up. We cannot reach heaven on our own. God has to come down. That, that is the gospel message. Jesus, you brought heaven down, right? He has to come down. We can't go up. Remember the Bible, one integrated message. Genesis 11, 1-9 shows men trying to reach to heaven. And sometimes we think we can, right? But we can't. The gap is too wide. There is a great divide. Remember we talked about this last year? A great divide. We are too sinful and too pathetic. And God is too holy and too awesome and great. No man-made tower will ever be tall enough. No human effort will ever be good enough to reach heaven. And yet, in our pride, we try right? We think like ourself is enough. We can do it. We can get better. We can build taller and taller towers. We can set up cities, right? We can become self-sufficient. We, we can defend ourselves. You know, we've got this. I've got this. Like, everything's under control. I know what I'm doing with my life. I can do it on my own. No, you can't. You will never be able to do it on your own. So what is the solution? What's the solution? Only Jesus is the answer. Remember that? There's no other way. Heaven has to come down. Heaven had to come down in the form of Jesus. And eventually, heaven will come down 
in the form of a heavenly city. Now, most of us here, we're, we're Christians already, right? We've accepted the gospel message. We've acknowledged that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And so today I want to ask us, do we still, however, continue trying to build our own towers, right? Let's talk a bit about, like, application, okay? What does this story of the Tower of Babel mean for me? And so let's look at the sin of Babel, like we, we went through just now, and ask, Lord, is it me? Are we trying to build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to heaven? You know, do we think that we can reach heaven on our own? And, and, and I think this also means, you know, do we try to reach God, like, on our own efforts, like with our good works and, and our accomplishments. You know, sometimes we, we subconsciously think like we've earned the right to heaven, you know, because we, maybe we, we serve a lot, you know, we do a lot of christian stuff and, and actually we're, we're pretty good people, you know. Do we put our trust in ourselves, our accomplishments? This city I've built, this tall tower I've built, it's good grades I've earned. Do we find security in ourselves? Do we find, do we take pride in our own strength? Or do we recognize that apart from God, we can do nothing? Apart from Him, we are little grasshoppers trying to build our little grasshopper towers. We will never reach Him on our own. And do we try to make a name for ourselves? You know, are we self-seeking, self-centered? In our lives, does everything we do work towards promoting ourselves? You know, making sure we get better grades, more followers on Instagram, a better job, you know, more friends, more money. We try to impress people more and more so that everyone will think I'm great. We try to earn praise. Or do we work and do we live for the glory of God? Right, you know, I, you know I, I think at some point in our lives, we we'll always be like, oh, why am I here? Why am I here on earth? What is my purpose in life? Your purpose in life is to bring glory to God, to bring glory to His name not to make a name for yourself. And finally, the last part, right? The people were like, oh, otherwise we will be scattered. Now, this is direct defiance of God's commands, right? God said, scatter. They said, no, we're simply settling. And do we similarly blatantly disobey God? You know, most of the time we sin, right? The same way the serpent tempted Eve, right? He said, did God really say that? Uh, yes, he did. You will not surely die. Let's just read a verse above. God said, if you eat it, you will surely die. Like, it's not even ambiguous, right? And most of the time, I, I think we know. We know what we should do, what we shouldn't do. But we spend tons of time convincing ourselves, like, did God really say that? No, it's, it's not that bad. We won't surely die. It won't get that bad. You know, I can handle it. I've got things under control. And we try to say, you know, did God really say that? Is this really a sin? By, by the way, I get, I get asked this a lot. Pastor, is it a sin to do da-da-da-da, right? And, and I always tell them, that's the wrong question. The question is, does this bring glory to God? Right? Not, uh, is this a sin? Is this not a sin? Give me a list of rules. I just follow this. Check this, right? And you know, you know there was a defiance against God's command to scatter, right? And, and I think it can also apply in this way. When God says, go, make disciples of all nations. But sometimes as Christians, we prefer to stay. We stick together in our holy huddle. We stay comfortably in church. And we don't go out and fill the earth with the good news. 
we stay in our comfort zone and in church. And we focus less and less about spreading the gospel, telling non-believers about Jesus. And we focus more and more about just providing a nice city, a nice comfortable environment to people who already believe and already belong. And Lao Jen, let's not be like that. I know, it's, I know it's February, school is starting to get busy and all that already. But let's not get comfortable and just stay in our comfort zone and forget that our mission is constantly, constantly to preach the gospel make disciples in all nations for the glory of God. Let's get the keyboardist up. Now, today, as we, as we wrap up the series, I, I really hope that over the course of the last few weeks, you have seen just how sinful and horrible man is. That really, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God that we are sinful beyond cure. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us turning to our own sinful, prideful way. And you know, I want us to be convicted of our sin, not to like feel bad about ourselves and then we go into this like self-condemnation. It's not to like guilt trip you into doing good things or coming to church or whatever. But you see, I really believe this, right? that unless we realize how great our sin is, we will never understand and appreciate how great God's grace and love is. Until we realize that we really are like sinful, pathetic little grasshoppers, we will never realize just how amazing grace is. That the God of the universe... The un- it's not like the God of Singapore, the God, the God of the universe would give His life for us. And until we realize that, only then will we be able to truly say, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a wretched sinful worm like me. We talk about sin not to make you like just feel bad or whatever, you know. It's not to condemn, but to convict. The Holy Spirit comes not to condemn, but to convict. And when we are convicted of our sin, then we see God's grace is is ridiculous. It's amazing grace. And that's why songs can come out like that. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I'm going to ask us to rise and... And let's just spend some time individually in prayer. And I want us to think about the message today and also, you know, over the past five weeks as we've been studying Genesis 1 to 11. Like, what is God saying to you? You know, is there, is there sin that you need to repent of? Is there grace and love that you were previously oblivious to taking for granted? Let's come to our great and powerful, but also personal and loving God.
Father, we come to you and, and God, all we can say is we are so thankful for your grace and your love and your mercy that we can just right now just approach your throne of grace with confidence even though we are sinful and fallen and imperfect and horrible we can approach you with confidence and we know we find grace and mercy and help and salvation and so God we fully acknowledge that God we, we cannot save ourselves but on our own there is nothing good in us but God we look to you and we thank you for Jesus Christ for redemption for salvation because of what Jesus did on the cross because he rose again San Tien because he rose again we now have crossed over from death to life we can have that personal relationship with you so God we thank you that you are creator of the universe you are powerful you are the one who, who set the stars in place you are the one who laid the foundations of the earth you are the one who controls the wind and the waves and, and, and yet God you care about every detail of our lives we thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes us clean and we thank you for the hope and life that we have in Jesus so God would you, would you speak to us would you convict us of how sinful and fallen we are and yet how great and loving and gracious and kind you are. We look to you, God. We praise you. We worship you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let's take a seat. And we have about 15 minutes more. And I think let's not gather in our CGs. I just want you to discuss with the person next to you. Okay, you, you, can, you can move if you want. And let's just talk about what we've been learning over the past five weeks, you know, is this me? Is this me? These three things. And let's just, let's just process, you know. I, I, think, I think we need to respond when we read the Word of God. And so let's just process the person next to you, share with each other, and then we can end by praying for each other. Okay? So just pair up. And leaders, you may want to strategically move or not. <laughs> and, and let's just pair up and share with each other, okay?